that their messages were heard loud and clear by all of God's people. Now, in all seriousness, what is a prophet? At its most basic level, what is a prophet? Now, when we hear the word prophet today, many of us may think of someone who can predict the future. We put prophets in the same category as tarot cards, fortune cookies, and horoscopes. Interesting, and maybe occasionally getting something right, but really more than anything, we write them off as curiosities or gimmicks. After all, even a broken clock is right twice a day, right? And when meteorologists can't even get tomorrow's weather right, then why should we take someone seriously when they claim to be a prophet predicting the future? Or maybe when we hear the word prophet, we think of a pessimistic nut who talks about nothing but doom and gloom. We picture the person standing on the overturned five-gallon bucket outside of Lucas Oil Stadium, yelling that everyone there is going to hell. Or the person with a megaphone on a college campus, obnoxiously trying to pick fights with underclassmen. Let's be honest, that might not be the best strategy for a prophet trying to win hearts and minds. Now, those are negative stereotypes, but maybe you're a bit more positive when it comes to prophets. When you hear the word prophet, you think of a social or a political revolutionary. This is someone who's been enlightened. They see things that no one else sees, and they're not afraid to courageously speak truth to power. If that's your opinion of prophets, you may even fancy yourself a little bit of a prophet. But the question is, what is a prophet? According to scripture, what is a prophet? Well, in the Bible, prophets do sometimes predict the future, not out of their own wisdom, but from God's revelation to them. In the Bible, prophets often do talk about doom and gloom. After all, if everything was fine and dandy, you probably wouldn't need a prophet around. And prophets in the Bible do tend to get on the bad side of those of positions of power and authority. But most of all, a prophet's job is to stand between God on one side and God's people on the other. The prophet is to remind God's rebellious and forgetful people of everything God has done in the past, who God has called them to be now, and what God has called them to do moving forward. In scripture, a prophet is often treated as an eccentric, an outcast, an extremist, a paranoid, a cynic. They look different, they act different, they speak different, and they think different. So if you put it all together, you can see why Jesus said that a prophet is never accepted in his hometown. Well, in the kingdom of Judah, around 630 B.C., there was great need for a prophet. Josiah was on the throne at the time. He was a good king, unlike many wicked kings before him. And Josiah took meaningful steps to return God's people to a place of worship and obedience to God. But sadly, in a sense, Josiah's reforms were too little too late. The damage had already been done. Judah had broken the covenant that God graciously initiated with them generations earlier. By now, the wound was too deep. And Josiah's band-aids, even though they were well-intentioned, 
couldn't stop the bleeding. Thus, it's no surprise that when King Josiah died, the people went right back to the wickedness that he worked so hard to eradicate. And all the while, there was a storm brewing in the north. Assyria, the nation that 100 years earlier overthrew Judah's estranged brother Israel, well, Assyria was in decline. But Babylon was rising to take their place. So at a time like this, a time of wicked kings, wicked priests, wicked people, political upheaval, and all kinds of instability, you need to get yourself a good old-fashioned prophet. And thankfully, that's exactly what God provides at this time. And he provides that prophet in the form of a man named Jeremiah. So open up to Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't know where it is, Jeremiah is after the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, maybe a little bit over halfway through your Bible. Feel free to use the Bibles here if you didn't bring one and take one home if you don't own one. But before we read, let's pray together as a church. Father, again, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we have together. I pray that you would watch over us as we read your word uh, on a Sunday morning where things don't go according to plan, where videos don't show at the right time and microphones don't turn on. Father, I pray that we wouldn't get frustrated or discouraged by these small, minor things, but rather we would remember that even on Sunday mornings when things are not as slick and smooth as we like them to be, you are still here with us. You still hear our songs. You still hear our prayers. You still call us your children. And Father, I pray that as we read your word, specifically the book of Jeremiah, that you would give us wisdom, give us discernment as we try to figure out what this word so long ago means to Christians like us today and how reading this word today can benefit us, how reading this word teaches us more about your son, even though it was written long before the incarnation. Father, thank you for the kids in the room this morning. I pray that you'd watch over them. I pray that you'd bless us by worshiping with them and help us to bless them by having them in this room. And Father, again, we give you all the glory. We give you all the praise because as we see in this word and really on every page of scripture, you deserve all of our glory and all of our praise. We ask this all in Christ's name, who lived and died and rose and ascended and will return. Amen. Let's begin in Jeremiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. The words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, one of the priests who were in Anathoth in the land of Benjamin, my favorite land, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, And until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the captivity of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So Jeremiah is the son of a priest and possibly one of the most important priests of his time. Jeremiah's ministry, or at least what's recorded of it in scripture, will last roughly 40 years. And the world will be a very different place near the end of Jeremiah's ministry compared to the beginning. 
Jeremiah will see interesting times, to say the least. He'll see his fair share of suffering as well. And the book of Jeremiah will end up being the second longest book in the Bible, coming in at over 21,000 words. Anybody know what book is the longest? Any guesses? Psalms. Rick got it. That's right. Psalms is the longest. But for this sermon series and throughout much of history, Jeremiah has been referred to as the weeping prophet. And we can see that in some of the illustrations that people have made of Jeremiah. For example, this painting is by Michelangelo. It's on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. And as you look at it, Jeremiah has his head in his hand. He appears to be hopeless. He appears to be lost or depressed. The next painting is by Rembrandt. You see the same thing. Jeremiah's head in his hands. And spoiler alert, the painting by Rembrandt has the city of Jerusalem burning behind Jeremiah. The paintings illustrate the stress of Jeremiah's times and the burden of the ministry that God put upon him. But, as the prophet Jonah learned the hard way, when God calls you, even when the calling doesn't look all that attractive, what choice do you have but to obey? Speaking of calling, let's look at Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 4. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Then I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say, I am only a youth. For to all to whom I send you, you shall go. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set before you this day over nations and over kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them, for all their evil and forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worshipped the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, 
an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So we see a bunch of things happening in this passage. But first we see God calling Jeremiah into his service. Apparently God's had this plan for quite some time. Jeremiah was literally born for this. But he was also understandably hesitant. We don't know exactly how young Jeremiah was, but he certainly wasn't old. And he apparently didn't consider himself a gifted public speaker. But God reassures Jeremiah that he's going to be with him all along the way. And then we see Jeremiah's task. And it's quite simple, really. Jeremiah is to go where God tells him to go and say what God tells him to say. Nothing to it, right? God even reassures Jeremiah that he won't be speaking his own words. He won't have to write his own sermons. He'll be speaking God's words. And then once again, God confirms that this young, nervous, perhaps uncharismatic rookie prophet won't have to do the heavy lifting on his own. Jeremiah won't be responsible for making God's word come to pass. His job is simply to proclaim it. We saw in verse 12, God said, I am watching over my word to perform it. Not you, Jeremiah. I'm watching over my word to perform it. And then third, we see that Jeremiah's message isn't all that hopeful, is it? In fact, it reads like bad news. Destruction is coming to Jerusalem at the hand of Babylon. And this isn't just Judah getting unlucky, being in the wrong place at the wrong time. God's not announcing this to them so that they can escape before the destruction comes. The destruction is from God. The destruction is God's just judgment upon them for the idolatry and the sin they've committed. The judgment will fall on everyone, from the most powerful king to the most respected priest down to the lowest servant. And as if that's not all bad enough, you get the icing on the cake. At the very end, God explicitly tells Jeremiah that the people won't listen to him. The people you're preaching to won't listen to you. In verse 19, he says they will fight against you. They won't just ignore you. They won't just kind of shoo you away or write you off. They will actively fight against you. Who wants to be called to that kind of ministry? But again, it's not up to Jeremiah to manufacture results. He's not responsible for how people respond to God's word. He's simply the messenger, and his job is to keep going and keep speaking as long as God tells him to. So recapping what we have so far, we have our prophet, he has his calling, he has his message, and he even knows the outcome before it takes place. Now we just have to read the rest of the book. One chapter down, 51 more to go. But before we do that... 
we need to talk about a repeated theme in chapter 1. This theme pops up time and time and time again in this chapter, and time and time and time again throughout the entirety of the book. And that theme is the phrase we've read, the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord. We read Jeremiah 1.9, where God literally puts his word directly into Jeremiah's mouth. Some form of the phrase, the word of the Lord, appears four different times in chapter 1 alone. And it keeps happening over and over and over. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 14, Therefore thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, Because you have spoken this word, the word God put in his mouth, Behold, I am making my words in your mouth a fire, and this people would. And the fire shall consume them. Chapter 15, verse 16, Jeremiah says, Your words were found, and I ate them. And your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I am called by your name, O Lord God of hosts. And then maybe the most famous passage from Jeremiah, chapter 20, verse 9. Jeremiah is talking about the possibility of abandoning his prophetic calling, just giving up on the task. He's had enough of this ministry. But he says in chapter 20, verse 9, If I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. Jeremiah's words aren't really his. They're God's. And on top of that, this tells us that God and his word are the main characters of the story, not Jeremiah. The phrase, thus says the Lord, occurs 155 times in the book of Jeremiah. That's more than the rest of the Old Testament combined. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, that occurs 23 times. And then the phrase, declares the Lord, that happens 167 times in the book of Jeremiah. 60% of all occurrences in the entire Bible. The point is that you can't read the book of Jeremiah without noticing this incredible emphasis on the power of God's word time and time and time and time over and over again. Even though Jeremiah's name is in the title, this book is not about him. This book is about God, and this book is about God's word. Now, of course, this emphasis on the power of God's word, it's not just in Jeremiah. It's all over the Old Testament. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. How does God create the world? With words. He speaks. And our world comes into existence. The psalmist puts it beautifully in Psalm 29, starting in verse 3. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The glory of God thunders the Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. 
the voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. If God's voice can do that, then yeah, his word is powerful. And he does deserve all the glory. God's words are powerful in a way that your words and my words and even Jeremiah's words simply aren't. But then we also see God's word at work in the New Testament. In the New Testament, another prophet comes speaking God's word on God's behalf to God's people. But as it turns out, he's actually much more than a prophet. In Matthew chapter 8, Jesus heals a centurion servant simply by speaking words. He didn't even have to see the servant. In the same chapter, Jesus casts out demons with a word. Later in the same chapter, Jesus calms a stormy sea with words. He talks to it. No ordinary man's words can do that. But Jesus' words can. Jesus' words don't have this power because God called him like Jeremiah. They don't have this power because God put his words in Jesus' mouth the way he did Jeremiah. Jesus' words have this power of God behind them because Jesus really is God. Standing right in front of them. God in the flesh. You know, words are powerful things, but it depends on who says them. If a stranger on the street looks at you and says, you're guilty, you'd probably just keep walking and maybe walk a little bit faster. But if a judge in a courtroom looks at you and says, you're guilty, then you might end up in jail. The identity and the authority of the speaker is what gives words their power. Depending on who says them, words have the power to hurt or to heal, to build up or to tear down. To almost everyone in his day and age, Jeremiah sounded like just another pessimistic, the sky is falling, lunatic. But really, he was a prophet and God was speaking through him. Likewise, to many in his day and age, Jesus sounded like just another renegade religious teacher who drank a little too much of his own Kool-Aid. But like Jeremiah, Jesus was also speaking the words of God. Not just because he was a prophet, but because he was God in the flesh. Now, as we wrap up, I think what we've talked about today gives us a few things to consider. And this is just from Jeremiah chapter 1. We've talked about the amazing power of God's words in the mouth of Jeremiah and in the mouth of Jesus. But how often do we take for granted the fact that God has given people like us his words to read? Now, Jeremiah is not alive to share God's words with us directly from his mouth. But God has put his word into our hands. The same God who spoke our world into existence at the beginning of time 
The God whose words can pluck up and break down, can destroy and overthrow, can build and plant kingdoms and nations. The God of Psalm 29, whose voice thunders and strips the forest bare and makes the entire temple cry glory. That God still speaks today to average Joes like you and me. He's given us his word in our hands. I pray that we wouldn't take it for granted. On top of that, we see that God's words have the power to change us. Jeremiah's life revolved around the words that God gave him. His life changed forever that day that he had that calling from God. And at times, this calling and this ministry brought Jeremiah immense joy. But at other times, it felt like a heavy burden. I pray that we would submit to God's words the way Jeremiah did. That we would be shaped by them, even when it's uncomfortable. And we'll learn more about how exactly God does that next week. And then, of course, we contemplate the command that God gives us to share his words. Now, none of us can claim to be a prophet in the same way that Jeremiah could. But we still have words from God that are worth sharing. We're called to proclaim the truth of the gospel, even when our world fights against it. We're called to announce the truth of God's words, even when they're unpopular, controversial, or costly. And like Jeremiah, the whole time, we remember that it's not up to us to manufacture the right response. We simply keep announcing. We simply keep saying. And of course, we rejoice in Jesus, the prophet who came after Jeremiah, the prophet who was also much more than a prophet. Look at Hebrews chapter 1, starting in verse 1. We read there. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things through whom also he created the world. We should read the words of Jeremiah and learn from them. We should read the word of God in Jeremiah's mouth, in his time and in his place, and look for ways and discern and ask God to help us understand how Jeremiah's preaching, 2,600-something years ago, still matters to us today. And we should also look for ways that Jeremiah points us to Christ, it might not always be obvious, but he does do it regularly. Jeremiah's words are valuable to Christians today. But we also look to Christ's words, who God has spoken to us through. And we rejoice in the words that Christ has said. We rejoice that when Jesus said he came to give his life as a ransom for many, he really did. He was speaking God's words. We rejoice that when Jesus said, whoever believes in him would have eternal life and not perish. He was speaking God's words. We rejoice in reading these words of Jesus because they are good news for sinners like us in a world that is full of bad news. We rejoice that these words are the words of God himself. 
And we rejoice that because as we read in Jeremiah, God watches over his word to perform it. That was true 2,600 years ago in the ministry of Jeremiah. It was true 2,000 years ago in the ministry of Jesus. And it's still true today that God is watching over his word to perform it. May we read it. May we love it. May we trust it. And may we give God the glory that he deserves. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time that we've had together to read your words in the mouth of Jeremiah. To read your words that you've given us in our hands. Father, I pray that we would recognize the power of your words. Thank you that you have called people like us out of death and into life. Thank you that what your word says about us is true, that when you say we're forgiven, we really are forgiven. When you say that we're justified, we really are justified. When you say that we're saved, we really are saved. And it's all because of what Christ did for us. Thank you for Jesus's life. Thank you for his words. Thank you for his death and his resurrection. And Father, we take great comfort and great solace in the fact that even when our world seems to be falling apart, kind of like it felt back in 630 B.C., you are still watching over your word to perform it. And ultimately, your word results in your glory. Father, we love you, we worship you, we praise you. We ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen.